0: Good morning. You know, we came, we came here in August of 2002, and it was a day like today, and you could not imagine on a day like today that it would ever be cold. Which either speaks to naivety or inability to imagine, I guess. I don't know. But welcome. Alrighty. So, we are held in the hands of grace. I think at the end of the day, with what we... Um, represent on the planet and, and as a movement is is whatever whatever lifts us into an awareness a fuller experience of of the the non physical the mystical uh, and it is an energy it 's all energy so what I invite you to do as i we move into our our moment of silence is to as you drop into that silence, just open yourself to. Your heart space, your heart space is a doorway, one of the, the quickest ways to to access and tap into that, that frequency and there 's a tendency in that frequency to be lifted up, but it requires a surrender of what might be the busyness of your your, your thinking in the moment and so it 's not about thinking it 's about being so I invite you to just as we move into silence for 30 seconds, and then I will uh, Allow your consciousness and the silence the collective consciousness to guide me in my, the song we sing and the, uh, the prayer that we create together because you are part of the, this. When we entered into that energetic field together, it becomes um, a co-creation. So thank you for being here. Thank you for being you. Thank you for being the real you. And let's just begin with some Silence. Our spirit, one spirit, is in this very room, in this very room, in this very room. And so, as deep calls unto deep, as Dr. Holmes said, there's a depth of being. Within each one of us, there's an aliveness within each and every one of us. There's an incredible vast storehouse. There is a treasure that lives within each and every one of us. That is no mistake. But it is to, to open ourselves to that in this moment. Notice this next breath with tremendous amount of care. Relaxing. Relax, relax. Notice. There's nothing to fear. There's only life. We are here by divine right appointment. And so in that awareness and in that making that an energetic connection of oneness, of the unified field, of the coherent energy of the the universe, as the scientists are telling us in the quantum field, we enter into that quantum spirituality here and now. And so I know that each time that we are called to that awareness today between the words, between the notes of the song, in our daily lives as we move from this space out into the world, let us know that we are being transformed. I invite you to share with me that a new mind is being created here and now because I set the intention. And as I turn towards it, it turns towards me. So I don't need to know how. I just simply need to invite the what. A new mind. And and with that new mind comes a new body. For in that quantum field, there is no time, there is no space. So whatever I'm longing to be shifted and changed in my life as I dip into that quantum field, that opportunity is more readily available. I move out of the, 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 from from particle to wave. I move from matter to the immaterial. That I allow the, the mystery and the fullness of possibility to be my experience here and now. And so I'm just so grateful for this day, grateful for this moment, this eternal moment and to know that I'm inviting into my awareness and into my mind and into my body and into my soul wholeness, an opportunity, a beauty, a grace, like never before. And all it requires is intention, willingness, and a welcome. Practice the principle and court the presence. For this I give thanks, I release these words, knowing that this energetic vibration continues to work for each and every one of us, in each moment, I release these words in this knowing and in this gratitude. And I invite you to say with me, and so it is. Ta-da-da. Thank you for that. That was beautiful. Boy, that was a good prayer we came up with. It's just an experience. It's a, it's a sacred moment. So we've been talking about wholeness this week, or one, one talk. And, and, um, and wholeness to me has really, really um, been uh, something I've been guided to by my own journey, my own my own uh, journey with this. So what inspired the, the, the subtitle today is Know Thy Shadow, Know Thyself comes from Debbie Ford's book, um, The Dark Side of the Light Chasers. And she wrote this book 20 years ago. And it's a, she has since made her transition. But when uh, she died very young, she was 57 years old. But obviously she completed part of her soul's agreement to share the information. And the reason that I'm, I'm called to it is that that the shadow work, especially in our tradition, where we can come in and we can latch on to a, a, an affirmative prayer or an affirmative idea or a longing to go somewhere. But what I've seen many times over and over again is people will get a, an idea in mind and they will move in that direction. And then they're not as successful with it as they would like. There seems to be a disappointment that comes along with it. And it, as, as you've heard me say a few times, but it's not that this doesn't work. It's just that sometimes we need to work it differently. And so the first place I wanted to start with today is, is where we place our attention is where we place our energy, which is just, so what is precious to us? Jesus said it in many ways, what is precious to us is where we, we, we focus. And we know this, we know that we can, that we dwell upon something that we will, we will create something um, that is very much reflective of the energy, the consciousness that we give to it. And sometimes there's such a deep undercurrent of, of unowned parts of ourselves that that interferes with the formula and the, and the recipe that we're trying to create. Does that make sense to anyone or am I just making this? Okay, thanks. A couple nods of the head. That's good. I'll keep going then. Um, so anyway, but, but this, is, this is exciting and this is great because what we get to do is we get to look at it from a perspective of wisdom. So no blame here. No blame, no shame. If you got shame with you, just... Throw it through that wall right now. Just grab in there and throw it out the wall because this isn't about shame. This isn't about blame. This is about making the unconscious conscious. And I think as, as we look at the world right now and look at all the changes that are going on, um, that it's our opportunity to step our game up. And I, know, I certainly know it is for me. But where I give my attention is where I place my energy. So I wanted to call upon, last week I talked about the parable, one of Jesus' parables, which is, the, which is one of his shortest about the mustard seed. It's very short, it's only a couple stanzas, and it's wonderful. Well, there's an even shorter parable that Jesus talked about, which is right next to it in, in the Gospel of Matthew. There's the parable of the mustard seed, and then right next to it is the parable of the leavened bread. And it reads like this because his apostles kept asking, What is the kingdom of heaven all about? he said, the kingdom of heaven is likened to leaven, which a woman took and hid in the three measures of meal until it had fermented. So the woman took yeast, put it into the dough, mixed it, mixed it, mixed it, mixed it, until that yeast permeated all of the dough. And then it rose. And then it was cooked and baked into something delicious. So wonderful metaphor. I mean, he, Jesus began to, uh, preaching in parable because it, it kept him out of trouble because he was challenging the status quo of belief, which was, which was very much political at that point in time. And so w- without challenging it, he was talking about consciousness. So this idea of, of this leavened bread, first of all, it's just like last week with this, the mustard seed starts really small. Just take a little bit of yeast. Anybody here a baker? And just know you just take a little bit of yeast and you put it in there and it permeates the whole thing. And it starts to rise, this, this one beautiful thing. And so, for me, it's the metaphor for consciousness, which is what Jesus was talking about. The kingdom is the unified field. Jesus called it the kingdom. Ernest Holmes called it oneness. Joe Dispenza calls it the unified field, which he got from David Bohm. Did you know this story? I didn't tell this story earlier, but I'll tell it now. That David Bohm was a contemporary of Einstein. And Einstein didn't necessarily buy into David Bohm's theory. That, And he was one of the originators that, when, that the experiment is influenced by the person observing Bohm said, you know, that whatever your, the, the consciousness you bring to the experiment influences the results of the experiment. And Einstein couldn't wrap his head around that. So a friend of theirs, was, they, Einstein was um, um, at Princeton. He was a professor at Princeton University. And he invited David Bohm to a, a um, reception. And so he brought, Einstein was invited with all the students and David Bohm was invited with all the students. And the two, the two groups showed up and one group stayed at one end of the room and the other stayed at the other end of the room the whole time because they realized they had nothing to talk about because they disagreed theoretically. And I thought, what is an interesting story to hear, isn't it? But David Bohm was the one that said our observation of it and the quantum, the quantum mechanics of it and the quantum physics would, would prove that to be true. But it was a little bit too far down the road for Einstein. And yet Einstein was the on-ramp for David Bohm in many ways. But where we place our energy is where we place, our attention is where we place our energy. So this idea of the unleavened bread, it has small beginnings and it increases. Interestingly enough, it starts from within. It's not an exterior um, uh, influence. It comes from within. It is comprehensive. It fills all of it so that all of a sudden the whole thing rises. And it is, it does it slowly. It does it secretly and it does it, silently so such a great example of consciousness of what's possible so the question for you and I is where what are we putting into that the, 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 the fabric or the texture of our own consciousness that is either rising it or not rising it that is either creating something beautiful or not because we're always choosing we're always choosing in this so the next slide I have is a, a picture of uh, four mice that got together to cast a shadow to, uh, to uh, create something that would help uh, Give a different idea, just a little take on shadow. So as we had the golden shadow, the next piece I wanted to talk to you about is the golden shadow, which comes from the golden Buddha story. In 1957, there were a group of Buddhist monks that were transporting a a very precious clay statue. And um, what they found as they started to move it was it was cracking. And so they stopped to try and figure out what they could do because they felt like the thing was probably gonna fall apart if they moved it much more. But one evening, one of the monks went out with a flashlight and was shining his light into the crack that had appeared on the clay statue. And as he shone shone his light in there, something reflected back to him. And he got curious and they carved away a bit more of the crack and looked inside and realized that what had happened was that when the Chinese were invading uh, Tibet, the monks got together and they covered this beautiful golden statue with clay to protect it and keep it from being taken away. And so, and all the monks that had participated in that covering of clay had all been killed, but during the invasion. And it's a wonderful metaphor, it actually comes from Debbie Ford's book, The Dark Side of the Light Chasers. She talks about how we all have, last week I talked about primary self, we all have a mask that we wear, that we present to the world. We all do it, and it's part of just who we are. The outer shell is is the face that we show to the world sometimes it can be it can be toughness so if your persona is toughness it's the way to be in the world there's but there's an unowned part of that for many people so toughness can hide sensitivity this was a great teacher for me my dad number one thing with my dad was you've got to be tough so you know here, here i am this overly sensitive young boy with you know i cry at the drop of a hat and and uh, that was always not su- supported. That was always a sign that he would put him into a panic. So the toughness was that hiding that sensitivity. Humor can cover up sadness. People who know it all, if anybody know anybody that knows it all, it can hover up their, cover up their perceived stupidity. Arrogance can cover up insecurity. So those are the two parts of the, the, the spectrum. And when one piece is unowned or one piece is not celebrated, because what happens is if we don't, all of it has to go with us. So it's not as if we, we um, it's just having the wisdom to realize, okay, that's part of me. Talked about it last week as well, but it's so important because if we just latch onto one idea or one primary self and the other parts are disowned, what it does is it limits the treasure that lies in the cracks of all of us. There's a treasure that is alive within all of us. They are gifts within all of us. And once we make peace with the totality of ourselves and can move in wholeness, and say, oh, that's me too. So I look at it, the world, and one of my great teachers right now is Donald Trump. Has anyone uh, taken a look at Donald Trump lately? You know, one of the world leaders just yesterday, they had the G20, and he said, the world has never been so, so separate right now. And, and I know that it's been, and this is an energy, and this is, a, this is a consciousness. This is a guy that believes that he's right all the time. And so when I recognize that, and, and, and I don't agree with it, but I recognize what's happening, it gives me an opportunity rather than to, to fight against it because what it does is it models for me that unowned part of myself, if that be the case, that thinks I'm right all the time. And I realize, oh, there's somebody playing that out for me. But once I see it, energetically, I'm free to observe it. It doesn't mean I support it, but to say, well, but I choose to put my energy somewhere else. I choose to focus somewhere else within my own spiritual practice. I choose to lift myself up into the unified field more and more and more because I know there's more value for me. There's more value for my, my world. There's more, more value for the, my community. This is what we stand for. It's not that we deny those things that are going on in the world, but to, to, to see them for what they are, but not give them power. Someone said to me the other day when I was doing this talk, and it was a wonderful question, what do I do with my releasing prayer? Because when we're releasing qualities, and they said, well, I'm, I'm releasing this idea that I'm not enough, and I'm embracing this idea of, of uh, perfect peace. And I said, well, in the releasing, it's releasing the power we give to it doesn't mean we forget about it. It doesn't mean it goes away. It's just we don't give it power anymore. But when it's unowned, it triggers us. And then we start pointing figures and we blame and we shame because it's just the way we respond to those things. So there's a wholeness that's available to us if we have the wisdom to see it. So someone, we, we get angry. Something in that person is part of the unknown capacity that I have within me that I haven't made peace with. That's why some, there's some wonderful, wise people in the world. The Dalai Lama for the most part, from what I've seen, doesn't get triggered. I've heard a story where he said, you know, I almost forgot myself one day and I almost started hating the Chinese. And a lot of us could say, you know, but here's, here's a man that understands projection. Here's an, a man that understands how life can work or not. In fact, Shoigal Rinpoche wrote, the ego is our false self, an ignorantly assumed identity. So ego, then, is the absence of true knowledge of who we really are. Together with its result, a doomed clutching on at all costs to a cobbled together and makeshift image of ourselves. An inevitably chameleon Charlton self that keeps changing and has to, to keep alive, the fiction of its existence. The ego is part of us. We need it. We don't need to kill it. We just need to understand it and work with it more effectively. And the, the Buddhists have known this. This was from the, the uh, Tibetan book of uh, the dying from Shoigal Rinpoche. So the, the golden Buddha really represents the cracks in the mask and the treasure that's behind it because the treasure is what we need. We need all of it. And part of that unknown shadow also limits our capacity to share our gifts. And when we understand that, we can be about the business of creating and being a co-creation more beautifully. And so the last piece, so first is the, the kneading of the bread. Where we place our attention is where we place our energy what we are putting into this, the, the, the texture of our and the, and the qualities of our consciousness, the golden shadow to understand that there's a, there's a gift that lies within each and every one of us. So it's not just about the unknown stuff. It's about the treasures that lie there as well that need to be uncovered and the mask, that we, the, the primary self that can limit that. And the third piece is what are we broadcasting? What are we broadcasting? There's a wonderful slide. Crystal, if you can go back to this slide, I wanna share with Brene Brown. Brene Brown wrote, the irony is that we disown our difficult stories to appear more whole and more acceptable. But our wholeness, even our wholeheartedness, actually depends on the integration of all of our experiences, including the falls. And it's to celebrate it. It's not as if we're we're fooling anyone. That's how we learn. That's how we grow. That's how we build the resiliency and the spiritual maturity to continue to be on this planet. So in this, what are we broadcasting? 86% of what we are communicating all the time is nonverbal. Nonverbal. 86%. So the question I would ask is, what am I communicating silently? What are you communicating silently? Are people running in the other direction as soon as you turn the corner? Just seeing you is enough to let them know you're on your way? When I look in the mirror, into my eyes, do I feel good about what I'm seeing? Or do I run away? But it's understanding and having that capacity to realize we are all these treasures. We're works in progress. And so when we get out in the world and the screaming and the shouting is going on and the fear gets a hold of us, what's ours to do with that? What's ours to do with that? And we either learn from it and grow from it and help us inform our next choices or we continue to fulfill it to fulfill the legacy. You know, when I was a young boy, my father gave me a lot of messages that, that I, don't, I didn't fulfill. So in many ways that could feel like betrayal, but I, I refused to live my life that way. So in, in um, Debbie Ford's book, The Dark Side of the Light Chaser, she writes about a, a man that came to one of her seminars. His name was Stephen, And Stephen was a successful entrepreneur. He'd been meditating for eight years. And he came up to her at a break. And he pulled her aside and he said, I need to let you know there's a guy over there. I'll point over here to a guy over there that um, I can't stand because he's a wimp. And she said, well, she didn't say anything. She just looked. Now, this, he'd never met this man. Just looking at him, he knew he was a wimp. Ever done that? Yeah. So anyway, wimp got triggered and Stephen... So she said, where does wimp show up in your experience, Stephen? And he thought for a minute, and he said, you know, when I was a kid, my dad took me to a fair, and they had ponies there. I was five years old, and he wanted me to go on the pony ride, and I was scared of the ponies. I didn't want to go on those ponies. So my dad pulled me aside, and he stood me in front of him and said, what kind of man are you? You're acting like a little wimp here. You're disgracing the entire family. And w- wimps are not allowed in this family. So at five years old, he gets the message from his dad to be anything but a wimp. And so as he went along in his life, he did everything he could to not be a wimp. He got a black belt in karate. He started playing football. Uh, he started lifting weights. He did everything to make himself strong uh, in the world. But as, as, as uh, Debbie Ford had created this space for this to come up for him, The memory showed up. Sometimes we have to be in a a space that is conducive to have the memory. And so as he had these memories, he realized that, that what he was doing, the anger he had about WIMP was the unowned WIMP within himself. So she said, can you tell me, Stephen, what the good things were about being a WIMP, which he'd never considered. She said, he looked at me like I was crazy. What's good about a wimp? He couldn't comprehend how something this horrifying, something he had spent his whole life denying, could be a gift. But then Stephen remembered a time when being a wimp had probably saved his life. When he was in college, a group of his friends had gotten together to do some drinking. They'd been going at it for a couple of hours when one of the guys suggested going to a bar in the next town. Stephen's three other friends decided they should go along. Stephen was scared to drive drunk or to be in the car with anyone who was drinking and driving. So he told his buddies he had a date and he couldn't miss it because he was going to get laid. <laughs> well, you're going to make up a story. That's probably a good one, huh? <laughs> he didn't want to tell them he was scared to go. He didn't want to be a wimp. Two hours later, his friends drove off the road. One of Stephen's closest friends was killed, and the rest ended up in the hospital, seriously injured. Stephen couldn't believe what he was remembering. He had blocked this painful incident from his mind. At the time of the accident, he figured it was just luck that he had skipped out that night. I asked him if there were other times when being a wimp had kept him out of trouble, and he could see how this trait had made him a cautious man, had kept him out of fights, and had probably saved him from all kinds of trouble. We talked about many past incidents before I asked Stephen how he felt about being a wimp now. His face lit up. He had embraced it. He could see now that this aspect of himself had been valuable many times. Stephen could now be proud of it. The shame and the pain disappeared. So just bringing these awarenesses into into the light. Dr. Holmes says, when you have an issue, and he wasn't the only one. I mean, this is what psychotherapy is, but we're not psychologists here or psychotherapists. But bringing it into awareness and having someone witness it without charge without adding on to it, but just simply having the grace and the space to be like, wow, look at that. Because that's part of the journey. But why don't we do that more? Why do we run around pretending with one, one face in the world, one mask on, without bringing the other stuff along? Which just limits our, our worldly experience. She, she continues, Stephen's new perspective empowered him. We do not have any say about the events of our lives. Nitschke commented, but we do, we do have say over how we, bless you, how we interpret them. We don't have a say over what happens in our lives, but we have, we have a say over how we interpret them. This morning I got up and I'm coming over here to, to church and, and, I, and we have a unique situation in our neighborhood, but I know that someone likes to go through my garage to get to the alley because there's no gate. This has been going on for months. So well, I'll go out and I'll go in the garage and the garage door's open. And it's like, what's up with this garage Well, I got out there this morning and I looked around and I always kind of look at the valuables in the, in the garage and I realized that Laura's brand new bike is, was taken. So, and I just said to her yesterday, I got to get that garage door secured because it's really hard to, the passenger door, you know, the, the pedestrian door in the garage, it's, it's, it's swollen up. Can you imagine that in Edmonton where the weather is so consistent that the door would swell up? But it doesn't shut anymore unless you, you know, you, you, you need a sledgehammer to get it open. So anyway, so I said, I got to get that door trimmed. Old door hanger, old carpenter, been saying it for months. But I, you know, in a real, so right away I saw that and I just got triggered. I thought, ah, you know, because I knew, I knew. Because intuition kept saying, fix it, fix it, fix it. Part of stewardship, part of abundance is taking care of things and securing things. But I realized I'm coming here, I'm coming here to share. And the energy it put me in was not the energy I wanted to share with you. Because if I come up here uh, as a victim and share that energetic of victim, it triggers your victim. I'm broadcasting. 86% of what we are, We broadcast. This is so important. So the first thing I did is I processed. I processed, I prayed, I lifted my energy up during the meditation, early morning meditation. I went and blessed all the energy centers because I needed to be in that unified field. And I needed to look at it from the perspective of wisdom because I could look at it as you're dummy, you're stupid, you're careless, you're reckless, you're not a good steward. How can you have any? All that stuff that I got as a kid. My dad was great at that. He was a master. If you need, you need any of that in your life, let me know. I'm sure I've got tapes of him doing that. But I realized that, no, this is not what I'm going to do because there's no benefit in that right now. What I'm going to do is when I get home this afternoon, I'm going to secure that door. <laughs> but now I get it. And whoever needed that bike, I'm sure they're rolling around somewhere nicely that they needed it more than obviously Laura did. But all that stuff. But, so I share this with you not because I'm proud of it, but this is this stuff happens. And I don't control someone. You know, someone's been using them in my garage for a shortcut for years. I go in the middle of the winter. I'm like, I shut that door when I went in last night. But, I, you know, that side door, it's easier to go through there than, than have to walk around the block or right in the middle of the block. So this time somebody decided to take a little transportation with them. But the point being is, so I don't control that person's behavior, but I can control my response to it and how I manage it and be a good, better steward. And, I, I, and it's a small thing. You know, it's a, it's a first-world problem, you know, to even have the opportunity to own a bike and have a home and live in a house and all that, you know, all those pieces. So I, I'm not pleased with it. I'll get pleased eventually, but I'm going to learn from it, and then I'm going to behave differently. And that's what Nitschke was talking about. But to make a whole novel out of it and then live my life in paranoia and fear, and call a security company and get cameras put in and all this stuff and then one day I don't turn the cameras on I don't set the alarm and you know all that stuff you know how that works I mean I can go there but I just right now what I know is I can secure the door and I can be a better steward so this whole idea around energetically who we are because I didn't want to come and share victim with you today that's how, that's how I know how finely tuned you are and I am what I want to share is the song that these People sing that Robbie Williams song at the beginning, I love my life. You know, Joe Spencer said, do not get up out of your prayer chair until you embody I love my life. Because a, a number of good things can happen when we're in that consciousness of being. I love my life, I am powerful, I am beautiful, I am wonderful, I am free. Science of Mind textbook, we, are, we have learned enough from suffering and struggle. We are here to live in freedom. That's just one voice, we are, that's one text. But I agree with that. The teacher Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is upon the earth, but we do not perceive it. It is the unified field he understood. Next week I'm gonna share, and I have time this week, I'm gonna share the Buddha's uh, mustard seed story. But it's beautiful, and we know that more likely than not that Jesus was influenced by the Buddha in his teachings. He had some years he disappeared. The Buddha was 500 years before Jesus. And so that consciousness got laid down and he brought it in a new way. So it's a beautiful opportunity for us to look at what we are kneading into the, the, the fabric of our consciousness every day. And if it's joy and it's love, anything unlike that will, sh- will rear its ugly head. And then we get to look at it because that's the crack. But to, to, to clean that golden presence that we are allows the fullness of who we are to be expressed. That's Transformation. And then we're transmitting that. And that's a beautiful thing. You know, we got eternity to figure this out. But not one thought and one second to waste. So, it's a beautiful life and I love my life. I love the opportunity. I feel so grateful to be here. I watched my dad, 11 kids. It was a whole different experience for him to have the freedom to do this, to bask in this wisdom and this... Intelligence and to live a life that allows us to all embody greater and greater wholeness. It's a beautiful thing. So, what are you broadcasting? We got it up there. Next slide. Who you are speaks so loudly, I can't hear a thing you're saying, was Ralph Waldo Emerson. We're not fooling anybody. We're miserable, our miserable leads the way. We're in joy, joy leads the way. And then if people come up to you and go, what's up with you with all the joy? I don't know, I just made a decision when I got up today to be in joy. But why? Because I decided. That's kind of odd, isn't it? But what happens is we're driving our emotional state rather than the world driving our emotion. That's, That's wisdom. That's mastery. The key takeaway is give your attention and your energy to what creates greater aliveness. Is your next thought, is your next choice lifting you up? Start there. Understand your mask, your primary self, and begin chipping away. What's the opposite of that? I'm always a winner. Well, what about the loser? What about bringing the loser along, too? Because he wants to go on the ride, too. It's part of who we are. Look for the blessings your unknown self has gifted you with, just like Stephen, the wimp. The wimp saved his life. Nothing wrong with being a wimp. It's just that if that becomes your primary self, then you're leaving, then you're leaving out the, the tough guy. They both got to go. It's just that then you get a choice. Ah, huh, How much tough guy needs to be here? How much, how much of me being able to say no in this situation is appropriate? Can I say no without having to go to the extreme of tough guy and have to make somebody else wrong? But just simply say, that's not for me. You guys are going to go, I got a date, I got to go on, whatever it may be. Wholeness. Debbie Ford said, Owning is an essential step in the process of healing and creating a life you love. We can't embrace that which we don't own. can't embrace it. When we embrace it and make a home for it, it's a beautiful thing. So thank you for being on this journey. Thank you for your openness and willingness to examine the, the, the sum total of your beliefs and to continue to choose and discern all along the way how you're gonna be in the world. What you're gonna dwell upon, what you're gonna give your energy to. I don't abundant people don't dwell in poverty. Healthy people don't don't dwell in sickness. Joyful people don't dwell in negativity. But we can all go there. So to have the awareness and the tools to bring ourselves out of that is so valuable. And to have permission to do that, to give ourselves permission to do that, to break the legacy of things we were exposed to over and over and over again as we were growing and we were being domesticated by people that did the best they could but didn't know. Or maybe they did know. So it's a beautiful thing. We got this beautiful day. If you see a lime green bicycle going by in our house, give me a call later on this afternoon. (laughs) Ladies, it's a little one, but very shiny. But once again, how do we hold ourselves and how do we hold ourselves in the world and how do we show up? It's a gift. And it doesn't matter what's gone before, what matters is what's happening right now, what's alive in you right now, what's alive in me right now, and where I take that. And am I a blessing? Am I part of the, part of the solution or am I going continue to be part of the problem? That's our opportunity, that's our joy. And so it is. Blessings, love you all.